0: Chapter Three of Divers Women by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sunday Fractures, Chapter Three Some People Who Forgot the Ever Listening Ear. There were two other members of the Brower family who had attended church that Sabbath morning. One was Mr. Brower, Sr and at the season of dinner-getting he lay on the couch in the dining-room, with the weekly paper in his hand, himself engaged in running down the column of stock prices. He glanced up once, when the words in the kitchen jarred roughly on his aesthetic ear, and said, "'Seems to me if I were you I would remember that today is Sunday, and not be quite so sharp with my tongue.' then his solemn duty done, he returned to his mental comparison of prices. Also there was Dwight Brower, a young fellow of nineteen or so, who acted unaccountably. Instead of lounging around, according to his usual custom, hovering between piazza and dining-room, whistling softly, now and then turning over the pile of old magazines between whiles, in search of something with which to pass away the time, he passed through the hall on his return from church, and without exchanging a word with any one went directly to his room. Once there he turned the key in the lock, and then, as though that did not make him feel quite enough alone, he slipped the little brass bolt under it, and then began pacing the somewhat long and somewhat narrow floor. Up and down, up and down, with measured step and perplexed anxious face, hands in his pockets, and his whole air one of abandonment to more serious thought than boys of nineteen usually indulge. What has happened to Dwight? Something that is not easily settled. For as the chickens sputter in the oven below, and the water boils off the potatoes, and the pudding is manufactured, and the cloud deepens and glooms, he does not recover his free-and-easy air and manner. He ceases his walk after a little, from sheer weariness, but he thrusts out his arm and seizes a chair with the air of one who has not time to be leisurely, and flings himself into it, and clasps his arms on the table, and bends his head on his hands, and thinks on. The holy hours of the Sabbath afternoon waned. Mr. Brower exhausted the stock column, read the record of deaths by way of doing a little religious reading, Tried a line or two of a religious poem and found it too much for him, then rolled up a shawl for a sofa pillow, put the paper over his head to shield him from the October flies, and went to sleep. Jenny went in and out setting the table, went to the cellar for bread and cake and cream, went to the closet upstairs for a glass of jelly, went the entire round of weary steps necessary to the getting ready the Sunday feast all the time with the flush on her cheek and the fire in her eye that told of a turbulent, eager, disappointed heart, and not once during the time did she think of the solemn words of prayer or hymn or sermon, or even benediction, of the morning. She had gotten her text in the church aisle. It was, "'Wherewithal shall I be clothed, in order to sit down at the marriage supper of Mrs. Jameson's son and daughter?' and vigorously was it tormenting her! What an infinitely compassionate God is ours who made it impossible for Dr. Selmser, as he sat alone in his study that afternoon, to know what was transpiring in the hearts and homes of some of his people! Those chickens sputtered themselves done at last, and the hot and tired mother, with still the anxious look on her face, stooped and took them from their fiery bed, and the father awoke with a yawn to hear himself summoned to the feast. It was later than usual, many things had detained them. Four o'clock quite, and before the army of dishes could be marshaled back into shape, the bell would certainly toll for evening service. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you, and he said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Dwight Brower was summoned, too, from his room, and his mother, who had just realized the strangeness of his absence, looked up as he came in and said, "'Are you sick to-day, Dwight?' "'No, ma'am,' he answered. And something in his voice made her look again, and something in his face made her keep looking with a perplexed, half-awed air. What had happened to Dwight?' What change had come to him amid the afternoon hours of that Sabbath day? Very different experiences can be passing in the same house at the same time. It was only across the street from the Browers that little Mrs. Matthews poured coffee for herself and husband, while Molly, the cook, stood on the side piazza and sang in a loud, shrill, and yet appreciative tone, There is rest for the weary. Little Mrs. Matthews had glowing cheeks, though she had done nothing more serious than exchange her silken dress for a wrapper, and lie on the sofa and finish the closing chapters of George Eliot's last new novel, since her return from church. Ay, it is true. She had been a listener in the same sanctuary where the earnest charge had rung, Take heed what ye do, let the fear of the Lord be upon you at least mrs matthews had taken her handsomely clothed little body to church i will not say that her mind was there or that she had heard much of the sermon some of it however she undoubtedly had heard and she proved it at this point breaking in upon dr matthews's musings as he stirred his second cup of coffee dr matthews how do you like being preached at preached at the doctor echoed with a sleepy air Yes, preached at. I'm sure if you were not asleep this morning, you must have heard yourself all but called by name. Who else could Dr. Selmser have been hinting at when he burst forth with such a tirade on whist parties? It isn't a week since we had ours, and he almost described what we had for supper. Fudge, said Dr. Matthews. He was occasionally more apt to be expressive than elegant in his expressions. What do you suppose he knows about our party? There were a dozen, I dare say, that very evening, and as many more the next evening. They are common enough, I am sure. And he didn't say anything personal, nor anything very bad, anyhow. They all take that position, have to, I suppose. It's a part of their business. I don't like them any the less for it. I wouldn't listen to a preacher who played whist. Mrs. Matthews set her pretty lips in a most determined way, and answered in an injured tone, "'Oh, well, if you like to be singled out in that manner and held up as an example before the whole congregation, I'm sure you're welcome to the enjoyment, but as for me, I think it is just an insult.' "'Stuff and nonsense,' echoed the doctor. "'How you women can work yourselves into a riot over nothing!' Now you know he didn't say any more than he has a dozen times before. In fact, he was rather mild on that point, I thought, and I concluded he considered he had said about all there was to be said in that line, and might as well slip it over. There wasn't a personal sentence in it, anyhow. The doctor is a gentleman. More than that, I don't believe he knows we had a whist-party, if he set out to keep track of all the parties there are in his congregation, it would make a busy life for him. Your conscience must have reproached you, Maria. Well, some people are less sensitive than others, I suppose. I know men who wouldn't like to have their wives talked about, as freely as yours was, from the pulpit this morning.' i tell you dr matthews that he meant me and i know it and i don't mean to stand it if you do how will you help it the doctor asked and he laughed outright it did seem ridiculously funny to him a tempest in a thimble he called it his wife was given to having them what will you do about it fight him or what it's a free country, and the man has a right to his opinions, even if you don't agree with them. Better hush up, Maria. I don't believe in duels, and they are against the law in this country besides. You are powerless, you see. It is a pity he said that. Mrs. Dr. Matthews, being a woman, and being a member of that church, knew she was not powerless and women of her stamp are sure to be dared by random, half-earnest sentences, to show the very utmost that their weak selves can do. As surely as I tell you the story here to-day, that is the way the ferment began. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Ay, and a little acid sours the whole lump." Do you think Mrs. Dr. Matthews sallied out directly her meal was concluded, and openly and bitterly denounced Dr. Selmser as a pulpit slanderer? She did nothing of the sort. She chose her time and place and persons with skill and tact, and said, Didn't they think, just among themselves, not intending to breathe it outside for the world, that Dr. Selmser was getting a little unpopular among the young people?' He was so grave, almost stern. She felt distressed sometimes lest they should cultivate a feeling of fear toward him. She did think it was so important that the young people should be attracted. Watching her opportunity, and it is wonderful how many opportunities there are in the world if one only watches for them. She remarked at Mrs. Brower's that Dr. Selmser was just a little inclined, she thought, to pay rather too much attention to families like the Harrisons. It was natural, she supposed. Ministers were but human, and of course with their wealth and influence they could make their home very attractive to him. But she always felt sorry when she saw a clergyman neglecting the poor— dr selmser certainly had called it mr harrison's twice during this very week of course he might have had business she did not pretend to say but there were some who were feeling as though their pastor didn't give time to see them very often he ought to be willing to divide his attentions now mrs brower belonged by nature to that type of woman who is disposed to keep an almanac account with her pastor she knew just how many calls dr selmser made on her in a year and just how far apart they were it really needed but a suggestion to make her feel doubly alert on the qui vive indeed to have her feelings hurt so of course they were hurt in point of fact there is nothing easier to accomplish in this jarring world than to get your feelings injured if you are bent on being slighted, there is no manner of difficulty in finding people who apparently live and move and breathe for no other purpose than to slight you. And as often as you think about them and dwell on their doings, they increase in number. A new name is added to the list every time you think it over, and the fair probability is that every single person you meet on that day, when you have just gone over your troubles, will say or do, or leave unsaid or undone, that which will cruelly hurt you. I tell you, dear friend, it becomes you to keep those feelings of yours hidden under lock and key, out of sight and memory of any one but your loving Lord, if you don't want them hurt every hour in the day. End of chapter 3